Welcome to Humanities Now, the official podcast of the Humanities Center at Texas Tech. We're glad to have you back with us for our second fall episode. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Borshuk, Associate Professor in the Department of English and Director of the Humanities Center at Texas Tech. Humanities Now features monthly conversations with members of the humanities community here at TTU. With every episode, these varied voices help us realize the Center's mission, asking out loud, what does it mean to be human, and demonstrating how we can answer that question from so many different perspectives. In January 2020, the United Nations Department of Economic and Social Affairs released the World Social Report, a document that surveyed global megatrends and concluded that powerful economic, social, and environmental forces were affecting inequality. The four megatrends on which the report focused, technological innovation, climate change, urbanization, and international migration, produce disparities in quality of life for more than two-thirds of the world's population, across national borders and within individual societies. This imbalance had become particularly evident in the context of health and education. Of course, a few months later, the report's conclusion became glaringly obvious as the COVID-19 pandemic began its mortal spread, causing the most damage among the world's most vulnerable populations. Last spring, the Academy of Medical Sciences in the United Kingdom hosted a series of workshops on the theme of global health inequalities, convening international experts to assess the impact of the COVID pandemic. Among the recommendations these experts proposed by the end of their meetings was prioritizing collaboration and interdisciplinary research in matters of public health. As they proposed, we cannot understand the disadvantages faced by certain communities without bringing together researchers with expertise in medical, social, epidemiological, economic, demographic, ethics, and other domains, and with interests in areas such as gender, equity, and race. This suggestion resonates with the Humanities Center at Texas Tech's 2022-2023 health theme, which we introduced on our last episode. On today's show, a special feature to continue our ongoing conversation about health. A conversation between one of the members of our programming team this year, TTU history professor Paul Bjork and Dr. Hiri Tungaraza, a Tanzanian oncologist committed to the well-being of low-income earners and an activist practitioner in matters of public health. We'll hear from Drs. Bjork and Tangaraza after a short break. Did you know that you can donate directly to the Humanities Center at Texas Tech? Gifts to our Excellence Fund supplement the generous funding we receive from the President's Office, the Provost's Office, and the Office of the Vice President for Research and Innovation. Your gift supports the free programming we offer, including online seminars, local film showings, art exhibitions, and a wide array of visiting speakers. Donations also help promote faculty research like that featured on today's show, or allow us to support graduate students in the humanities by funding participation in national conferences and seminars. And it helps pay for this show. If you're interested in donating to the Humanities Center, please visit our website, humanitycenter.ttu.edu, and click on the big red donate button on the front page. Thank you. Okay, hello. Welcome to the uh, Humanities Center at Texas Tech University. 
and a podcast on health and the humanities. My name is Paul Bjork. I'm a professor of African history here at Texas Tech, and I'm here online with Heri Tungaraza, a public health expert in Tanzania and East Africa. Uh, hello, Heri. Hello, Paul. Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit just about what you do now and, and a little bit about your background so that we can understand uh, where you're coming from. Uh, thank you so much, Paul, uh, for having me here. Um, I'm Heri Tungaraza, uh, working at the at Mumbili National Hospital here in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. I, I work uh, both as an oncologist and also as a public health enthusiast uh, here in Dar es Salaam. I was uh, initially trained here, and then later on I went and did my master's in China. Great. So you did uh, your initial training at Muhimbili National Hospital. Um, I know that that's the, uh, the oldest and uh, biggest uh, hospital in Tanzania. What can you tell me about the program there and, uh, and your experience at Muhimbili? So Mumbili National Hospital, this is a teaching hospital that belongs to the Mumbili University of Health and Allied Sciences. So it's the biggest hospital, as you said, it's the national hospital, and it has trained most of the doctors that are here in Tanzania. Okay. Um, you mentioned in the past that uh, you, you're very passionate about ensuring treatment for low-income earners, and I know that Muhimbili is, is, a, is the place where most people will go if they don't have enough money for like a private hospital. Tell us more about the public health system in Tanzania and how it serves the population at large, which, of course, much of the population is fairly poor, but there is a growing middle class that has a different set of health problems. But tell me about Muhimbili's service to the public. So Muhimbili's service to the public is, is, is enormous. And uh, Muhimbili has taken a position as a leader in healthcare or in public health uh, because uh, it does have the biggest chunk of what we call experts or what we call specialists in different areas in the, and in particular and the communicable diseases, those include hypertension, uh, heart diseases, stroke, let's say cancer and uh, diabetes. So the way the system is uh, structured is that uh, there are hospitals, what we call uh, very primary healthcare facilities at the, at, the, at, the, at the lower level, at the lowest level, where someone can actually go uh, see general physician who will look at that person and, and treat. If they fail, they you know, bring them up maybe to the district level, then from the district level to the regional level hospitals, which do exist. And then from the regional level hospitals, they'll be referred at the end uh, to Mumbiri. And Mumbiri still remains the only place where uh, normal Tanzania who has no insurance, who, does not, who is not part of the middle income, as you have mentioned, is able to come and see a specialist in a particular disease, especially if it is a non-communicable disease, and get treated fairly uh, at a very good price, almost uh, to none. There are exemptions that the government has been able to provide. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Muimbili is really kind of the, the center point for the whole public health system that is subsidized by the government in Tanzania. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay. Um, now, you good. mentioned uh, in your training... Uh, that you uh, did a, a master's degree in oncology in uh, in China, and then you also had some experience um, in the United States at Georgia State yeah. University. Georgia State University at the Grand Hospital, which is you know right in the CBD of Atlanta. Gotcha. Okay. Well, well, tell me first a little bit about your experience in China. Uh, what was that like, and and how did that shape uh, your education and, and your view of uh, public health issues? One of the things that I was impressed is how they were able to, you know, bring their own 
ways of looking at medicine and I'm talking about alternative medicine here what we call Chinese medicine you are able to integrate it into the western medicine and then these two would uh, uh, you know supplement each other and in most cases the outcome was, was very very good so it's something that Tanzanians and other areas uh, or other countries could also learn how you can you know uh, propagate your own stuff your own ways of medicine that were there many many years ago to only complement what we already have uh, from the western world but of course the other thing is that I learned from China is how they were able to you know treat so many people you know the Chinese numbers are high so I was in a city called Wenzhou and still uh, a single doctor an oncologist would see around 40 to 50 patients uh, and and these high numbers they see were seen uh, meticulously and it would help them to gain a lot of experience and, uh, and and I was still amazed how their public health system was very good but because I would still see very early cases of cancer unlike what I see Interesting. Yeah, of course, uh, to to catch cancer at an early stage is really the most important part of treatment. Very true, very true. And it's cheaper when someone comes at an early stage, you know, like stage one and stage two. There are two ways that it is cheaper. First of all, the possibility of you saving that life, which is priceless, is way better. But at the same time, with the treatment options, when someone is at a lower stage, they are usually less expensive or less, uh, take less time. So in the end, public sector spends less for someone who's coming to the hospital much higher than Okay, well, tell me about it. How would you compare, then, your experience in Atlanta uh, to your experience in, in China? Oh, so, again, these are two two contrast areas, you know. So, here I was in Atlanta, and this is, uh, uh, Grady Hospital is huge. It's, it's a public hospital also. Uh, it sees a lot of those uh, that are underprivileged people. So the first thing that was impressed that I did know is that I walked into an emergency room and I saw someone admitted and this person had insurance, no cash. It was surprising to me because the earlier on I was told in, in, in USA, if, if, you're, if you're sick and you have no cash, you're left to die. And for the first time I saw this was not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in China, there are many patients. In USA, very few patients. And what I also uh, realized is that most probably in USA, they spend a lot of money per head in comparison to what you know people spend in China per head or in Tanzania. We as Tanzanians, what we should learn from let's say China and, and America is that whatever they have and whatever is good should be brought back home and maybe uh, tailored, maybe or we tailor it to the Tanzanian context. So the model in China may not work as it is. You take the Chinese model, you bring it to Tanzania, and then you look at the context here. And you tailor it so that it could fit into the Tanzanian So uh, it is not supposed to be copy and paste per se. Right, of course. So, well, tell me about that Tanzanian context. What, what is unique about the Tanzanian context? What's changing in the Tanzanian context uh, compared to what it may have been maybe 20 years ago? So in the Tanzanian context, for, for sure, we have now accepted that uh, non-communicable disease is a threat. And it's a growing threat. You know, 10 years or more ago, it was more infectious. And if you look at the number one, it used to always be infectious. It's maybe the number five or even six. You know, with AIDS, you know, pneumonia, TB. But now we are seeing a big surge in non-communicable diseases, you know, cancer, heart diseases, stroke. So, for example, today, if I go out there, the number of people I see trying to take care of themselves through exercise and most probably eating well is much more than 10 years ago. So there's a shift in terms of policy. There's also a shift in terms of how the normal Tanzanians are behaving. 
for me, what I, I would say as a doctor, oh, we can learn from the same models that we use to treat infections and make them work also for non-communicable diseases. The same models, the same clinics that were used to treat infections can also be used to treat non-communicable diseases. Why do you think this rise of non-communicable diseases is happening? What, why, 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 what's changed that has created that change in the, in the health profile of Tanzania? For many, many years, we focused on infections because the numbers were telling us so. We focused on HIV, a lot of funding came for HIV. I remember the last time I was in Washington, I was telling, I was telling some USAID, it's enough now. You know, we, we know a lot about I mean, HIV. I, I told them of their first just like that. So that fact that we have spent much time and our resources on, on infections made us not aware of what was already growing in terms of non-communicable That is one. But secondly, uh, is the fact that the Tanzania of today is not the Tanzania of yesterday. People now are earning much more money, so they're spending it luxuriously. They're buying more cars, so they're exercising less, they're working less. There are a lot of uh, you know, these what we call a food uh, food chain uh, business that are coming. You know, what I would call fast food. When I was growing up, I would not go and get a bag and come home and eat it, but now it's surviving. So our young ones are eating burger and not eating so well. So again, that would contribute. But a third reason would just be the fact that there's more awareness on this issue. What is also interesting is that over the years, we have also trained people or clinicians who can treat non-communicable diseases, including myself. We never used to have as many oncologists as we do have today, or as many endocrinologists, or as many heart surgeons, or heart doctors, you know, or you know, neurologists. All these people, because now they are able to pinpoint these diseases that are non-communicable, they are bringing them up then they go into the data. Now the data is inflecting maybe a problem that was already there, but we didn't have the capacity. And on the other side, the country has also invested so much in diagnostics. We have so much now that we can use to diagnose some of these diseases. When it comes to imaging techniques, we have MRIs or CT scans. We have huge laboratories all over the country that can actually bring up some of these issues. Maybe we never used to pick up them. So for me, those could be a few of the reasons why there's that kind of shift. Yeah, so that's interesting. It seems in some ways that not only do you have changing demographics, changing uh, economy and so forth, lifestyles, but you're saying that another part of it is just the attention to non-communicable diseases is in part uh, as a result of an improving healthcare system that, Very that has the ability to pay attention to these issues. Very true. Interesting. Um, okay, well, I don't want to take too much of your time here, but I did want to ask you, um, so you're also an entrepreneur, and you you've started a company called Afya Pal. Of course, means health in Tanzania. Yes. So this is yes. a your health pal. What what is your vision for Afya Pal, and what are, what are you doing now, and and what will you be doing in the future with that company? My vision is to see that uh, every Tanzanian is not is not only free of disease, but is happy to enjoy their health, their health, and make it and use it to better this country, okay? Because disease, by the definition of WHO, is not just the mere uh, uh, absence of physical illness, but also the uh, feeling of optimal well-being. So that's what Afyapal is, is, that's the vision. Yeah, that, that's an inspiring vision. So, you know, ensuring that we're not just dealing with kind of biomedical specific way, um, but looking at the whole person and the whole exactly. uh, experience exactly. of their yeah. life and their health. Yeah. 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 
um, and, and, so and you... just and Go just ahead. to add that, you know, when it comes to health, it's not about you know uh, physical. Like I said, no, not physical illness, but what about your mental health? How is it? Uh, your financial, your environmental, your spiritual? Okay, your occupation. You know, all these things at the end of the day do affect how you feel and how you are able to retain your health. We as doctors today, uh, we are limited by the fact that, especially in this part of the world, we, when the patient comes, I only speak to them as they are across me. I don't ask them beyond the clinic walls what happens at the workplace, what happens in their homes, what happens in their churches, you know, what happens in their business uh, meetings. Because all these things that I've just mentioned could make someone sick or not sick. And that's why they are here to see me. So if doctors today would change their mindset and ask and try to know more about their patient, who they are, where they've come from, where they're working, you know, where they're staying, maybe they're getting malaria each and every day because they have a swamp just next to the house. Okay? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're getting, uh, let's say, diabetes or hypertension or cancer because there's a very uh, a cruel boss in the workplace because we know a cruel boss or a very bad environment at the workplace can make someone stress and the stress can actually destroy your immunity and once we destroy your immunity many diseases can come autoimmune diseases cancer and the rest so this is very important that's really interesting you know one of the themes uh we've been looking at at the humanity center has been um a field that is known as narrative medicine uh, that uh, has been kind of uh pioneered at columbia university i think in in new york uh by i think a doctor named rita Charan. But she's been arguing exactly what you're saying, is that medicine has to start by listening in a more holistic way to the patient and understanding the bigger picture of that patient's life rather than just dealing with, you know, the specific uh, disease or manifestation that you see in the clinic. So, so that you're saying Afyopal is really trying to pioneer that approach in Tanzania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Wonderful. That's very great, yeah. That's great. Um, and then it, it looks like your all your aim for Afiopal is also to expand uh, virtual visits, uh, so yeah. that people can have a visit, you know, from their phone wherever yeah. they are, and don't yeah. uh, necessarily have to, you know, find transport to go to a clinic. Um, what what do you see as the future for virtual medicine in Tanzania? I think the future is there, and I I know COVID came and. Uh, took away a lot of our loved ones, a lot of our friends, um, and actually destroyed and showed actual holes. This is what I keep on saying. You know, COVID came and showed the holes on our healthcare system, how punctual it was, you know, that kind of thing. So we have learned that uh, when times like those come, and even beyond COVID, virtual is very, very important. And even before, current to the doctor-patient ratio in Tanzania is very, very bad. I, we cannot reach each and every patient. So the virtual, because of that, is very important. So people who, first of all, cannot afford, who cannot access the doctor, and maybe they cannot go to the hospital because they cannot find the right transport or because there's COVID, should always have the capacity to try before waiting for the appointment to you know, engage a doctor via a virtual uh, platform. And this is what the, we as at Afyapa are thinking this should be the future. And, of course, the other thing that makes this possible is the fact currently is that uh, internet accessibility in, the, in Tanzania has, has, has expanded. Uh, this is the future for us, uh, and maybe in the future uh, we'll also see how we shall be able to incorporate 
artificial intelligence to help us you know, do the diagnosis. In case a patient goes into the virtual platform, the doctor is not there available, the uh, artificial intelligence will engage this patient first before the doctor will come in person. And all these things we are saying are, are there to assist the doctor, not to replace the doctor. And I don't want my colleagues to be scared of the future. The future is ours for all of us, but there are technology platforms that we can use to help those that are not able to access us in time. Wow, that's an inspiring vision. And I think yeah. you're right that there are ways to use technology to expand the capacity of yeah. uh, the Tanzanian health system, um, both geographically, reaching people yeah. deeper in the in the villages and so forth, but also um, expanding its its capacity to engage patients, um, you know, so that uh, some of the diagnosis can happen via um, an artificial intelligence and then a doctor can come in and, and have a, a more clear picture by the time yeah. they start. Yeah talking to the patient. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I know that, uh, you know, the expansion of fiber optic and the expansion of the mobile phone uh, system, yeah, yeah. that now internet is really ubiquitous in East Africa and, and uh, internet access is not in and of itself the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. Well, we better wrap it up. But uh, yeah. Harry, that was a fascinating conversation. There's so much that, uh, going on that you're involved with and your insights are really, uh, um, have, uh, I think will help people understand uh, the changing nature of medicine in Africa. Thank you so much for, for having me. Well, it thank a, you. A, it was a great moment. Great. Uh, well, I hope we have future conversations. Uh, all the best and, uh, and uh, all the best in your work. Thank you so much. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Humanities Now. I'm grateful to Dr. Paul Bjork, Associate Professor of African History here at TTU, and his guest, Dr. Hiri Tungaraza, Thank you to our sound editor, Aubrey Harris, and to Madison Wheeler, Executive Administrative Assistant at the Humanity Center. As always, major gratitude to Tyler Simpson for our original theme music. Be safe and be well until we join you again for more conversations about what it means to be human.